This morning's passage, we're going to see Jesus heal a leper. Now, we're blessed that in New Zealand we don't come face to face with this terrible disease. But in developing countries, leprosy is still an issue. Judy spent some time working with the leprosy mission in Indonesia early in her nursing career, so she can tell you firsthand about leprosy and the disease. This morning, as we continue through Mark, we're going to see a few things. We're going to see three things. We're going to see uh, the desperation of the leper. We're going to see the compassion of Christ. And then we're going to see how this points to the wonderful work on the cross. The desperation of the leper, compassion of Jesus, and the work of the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you will soften our hard hearts and open our deaf ears to hear what your spirit would have us listen to. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's dive straight into the passage, Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So what's happening here? Well, most of chapter 1 is about Jesus establishing his ministry. Baptism, check. Fasting for 40 days, check. Resisting Satan's temptation, check. Calling his first disciples, his first exorcism, his first healing, check, check, check. So Christ has started well. He's in the zone, people are hearing the good news, people are being healed and set free, and word travels fast, and the leper hears and seeks Christ out. And we can hear, sense something of his desperation as he falls to his knees and begs, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now we notice something interesting here with the leper's words. He doesn't say, if you are willing, you can heal me, but if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, why use the word clean? Imagine going into the doctor with a significant skin condition and saying, can I have something to make me clean? Imagine their response. Might give you a bar of soap and shoo you out and tell them, stop wasting your time. No, you you ask for something to heal you. You're very specific. What's the story about being asked to be made clean? Well, it's this word clean that gives us a clue to the intensity of the leper's plight. So to better understand this desperate begging, this desperate plea, we're going to get to the bottom of his need to be clean. And we're going to do this by tracking back to the beginning of Israel as a nation and even further back to the fall. So I'm going to take a little little bit of time of exploring this whole concept of clean and unclean. It really impacts not just this story, but all through the Bible when you come across this tension between being clean and unclean. And so we go way back to the garden, to Adam and Eve. We remember that in Genesis uh, 3 that God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. God dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden. But after the fall, Adam and Eve were banished and there was a separation. God did not dwell with his people and this was the situation for generation to generation until God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. And as they made their way through the Red Sea and then to Mount Sinai, the people gathered at the foot of the mountain and Moses climbed to the top. Now what was God doing in all this? Well, 
God had promised Abraham many years earlier that he would make his descendants, Abraham's descendants, into a nation and that God would dwell in this nation. And so Leviticus 26.11 says, this is God speaking to Moses, I will put my dwelling place among you and I would not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves. So notice what God's promising here. He said, I will walk among you. And we think about Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the evening. I will walk among you, says God, and you will be my people. But there's a problem. Now what's changed since Adam and Eve were barred, were banished from God's presence? Well, nothing's changed. So how can a holy God, how can a holy God live with an unholy people? Now we tend to underestimate this problem. We tend to minimise our unholiness and God's holiness. So we tend to put our holiness up here and God's holiness here. And the gap's not that big. I mean, we just don't have the imagination to understand how holy God is. And we don't really understand the depth of our unholiness. In fact, now a lot of, Bible, of the Bible actually addresses this tries to remind us that God is way holy and that we are way unholy and the gap is huge. I mean, that's why Adam and Eve were banished. It's a problem. How can a holy God dwell with an unholy people? And there's an illustration, a, a, a lovely story which helps explain this gap. You may remember what happened when Moses asked to see God face to face. You remember what happened? Exodus 33 verse 18. We'll pick that up. There, So Moses is on the mountain, he's receiving the laws, they're having a conversation and it goes something like this, verse 18 of Exodus 33. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And that's because God is holy and Moses is unholy. And so in verse 21, then Moses said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. You know, if any of us saw the full, unfiltered presence of God, we would die. Moses was hidden in the cleft of a rock and only saw a glimpse of the back of God's glory and only just survived. So let's go back to the question, how is a holy God going to dwell with an unholy people? They'll all die. They'll all be burnt up to a crisp as the glory of God moved among them in the camp. But God has a plan. On the mountain, God gives Moses the tools needed to stop them from being annihilated. There are three things that Moses is given by God. First of all, God gives Moses a system of animal sacrifice to deal with Israelites' rebellion, with their sin. So that's the first thing God gives them so they won't be annihilated. The second thing, God gives them a whole bunch of instructions to show them how to live rightly, how to live right with God to be clean. And thirdly, God gives Moses the plans for a tabernacle the temple made out of a tent. 
And inside that, in the Holy of Holies, Moses is given instructions to build an ark, a box, covered in gold, the Ark of the Covenant. And that's overlaid in gold, and the Ten Commandments are placed inside that box. And either end of the box are two cherubim, two angels that are facing inward over the box with outstretched uh, wings. And just above the box, within the outstretched wing, the Shekinah, the glory of God, will dwell. And so Moses has given the instructions for the tabernacle, and that's where God will dwell. So this is how God resolves that tension between a holy God living among a unholy people. Animal sacrifice to deal with their rebellion and sin, instructions to do with their cleanliness and being right, and then a tabernacle that is uh, partitioned off where the glory of God dies. So what's this got to do with the leper? Well, some of those regulations that Moses receive, all of which are designed to keep them clean, directly relate to leprosy. And we see that in the reading that Ross read before in Numbers 5, verses 1. There we go. Numbers 5, verses 1 to 3. God speaking, Command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who has an infectious skin disease, and traditionally that's interpreted as leprosy. So they will not defile their camp while I dwell among them. So the plight of the leper in ancient Israel was tied up with the holiness of God and him dwelling in their presence. So in practice, what happened? Well, Leviticus has three whole chapters dedicated to the process of dealing with lepers. Okay? So if someone has a skin rash or a boil layer, they go to the priest and the priest, with the instructions that you can read in Leviticus, will go through a series of steps to identify whether it's leprosy or not. Uh, it's not done on the first consultation. The person is sent away and then comes back to check to see whether the condition is worse. Anyway, after a thorough process, if the priest diagnoses leprosy, that person is banished from the community, as we see here in Numbers chapter um, 5, verses 1 to 3. Now, when they are healed, when they get better, they then come back to the priest who re-examines them And if he can confirm that they are healed, they are then welcomed back into the nation of Israel. And we are appalled. Or is it just me that think this is just barbaric? I mean, this person is sick. And when you are sick, the last thing you want to be be done is banished, isn't it? I mean, just think last time you were really crook. (laughs) It's great to have some loved ones or caring doctors and nurses to help you. And here we think, this is awful. Uh, Before we get too carried away, let us remember that we have the advantage of modern medicine and we don't have lepers on our doorstep. And before we get grumpy with God and use this banishment in this passage as a way to say that the Old Testament is a load of rubbish (laughs) and that it's just cruel and barbaric, it was a common practice among the surrounding nations to do exactly this. But unlike the surrounding nations, Israel had a high threshold before banishment kicked in. So it wasn't just like, oh, this person's got a rash, we're going to throw them out. They had a series of logical steps where the priest would check and recheck and recheck until leprosy was identified. And that's different from the surrounding nations. There was also a very clear way of welcoming back someone that was cured. That was not happening in the other nations. 
And so when you look at Leviticus and the instructions there, you actually can see the compassion of God when dealing with a very difficult situation. So getting back to first century, getting back to Jesus' day, we can imagine a young man, and maybe that young man's married with children, and he develops leprosy. He goes to the priest more than once until it is confirmed without doubt, and then publicly and formally he is banished from Israel. He's prohibited with contact with his family. He's barred from the towns and the villages. He's unable to worship in the synagogue. He is not allowed to worship God alongside others. He's expected to live in uninhabited and isolated places. He's expected to cover his face and call out with a loud voice, unclean, unclean, if anyone comes near him. He's dependent, reliant on the kindness of others when it comes to food. He must live in a makeshift shelter or in a cave, all the while suffering an illness. He's sick. He's unwell. It would be just awful, wouldn't it? Then one day out of the blue, he hears a whisper, a word here, a snippet there. There's a young rabbi who's preaching and he's healing and he's nearby. So with hope rising, the leper seeks Jesus out until we read in Mark 1, chapter 40, that he came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And listen to Jesus' response. Mark 1, 41. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Now, nobody in those days would touch a leper. Nobody would touch a leper. Not just because it was gross, you know, a yuck skin condition, but because uncleanliness is transferable. If you touch someone or something unclean, you yourself became unclean for 24 hours and there were restrictions on what you could do. So if someone, a loved one died and you touched the body in preparation for the funeral, which was normal, everybody knew that you would be unclean for 24 hours and they had systems of dealing with that. And so Jesus reached out and touched the man and it might have been years since anyone had touched that man and there would have been an audible gasp among the onlookers because they would have known straight away. They would have whispered to themselves, look at Jesus, he's unclean now. But Jesus didn't care because he was about his father's business. Filled with compassion, he reached out and he touched the man. Jesus declares, I am willing, be clean. Verse 42, immediately, immediately without delay, straight away, The leprosy left him and he was cured. Top to toe, completely healed. Can you imagine went through the now ex-leper's mind? Maybe he thought something like, well, I feel feel different. And he looked down at his hands expecting to see the pox marks and the deformed hand that leprosy often brings. And no, no pox completely straight. And then with his new fresh hand, he runs it across his brow and down his cheek. No blemishes. Completely healed. It's true. I'm healed. And I can imagine thoughts of his wife and his children come flooding in. And I wonder if he even heard the words that Jesus said next. 
Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So what's happening here? Well, Jesus knew the sooner the priest examined the man, just like we talked about before following Leviticus, as sooner the man was examined by the priest, the sooner the priest would pronounce him cured. And the sooner that that man could go home to his family and rebuild his life. But there's another reason as well, apart from the practical reason, it shows Jesus' respect for the law. Jesus didn't come to rewrite the law, to ride roughshod over the law. He came to fulfil the law. The law was given by God to God's people and Jesus respected that. So he was keen for the man to follow this part of the law. And thirdly, apart from it being practical, apart from it being a respect for the law, he wanted it to be a real strong witness to the local priest. We can imagine this man going to the local priest and saying, I'm cured. And the local priest would have gone through those instructions in Leviticus and said, well, yes, you are. How did it happen? And the man would have told them about Jesus. And then that day, that priest would know that there was a person doing the work of Messiah in Israel. It would have been a powerful witness to the priest And does this happen? Does the ex-leper follow Jesus' instructions and go and get himself re-examined by the priest? No, not at all. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in the lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. We're sort of left wondering here whether this is a good thing or not. Did he do the right thing? Part of us can understand the man's excitement and just bursting to tell everyone and grabbing people and shaking them and saying, I'm healed, this is wonderful. But on the other hand, by talking up the miracle, the crowds grew and got bigger so that Jesus could no longer move openly in villages or towns. He still did. He would still do this, but there were always hangers-on and onlookers each with their own agendas, each demanding Jesus do this or that. And so, we come to the end of chapter 1 of Mark. It's only taken us nine sermons. It's great, isn't it? Can't wait to get into the next. But how are we going to make sense of this this last miracle that we find in the first chapter? Where's our our take home for this? Well, our natural focus falls on the compassion of Jesus. Jesus. And there's a number of ways that we see that compassion in his touch, in his words, but also in the way that he listened to the man. And that's, we haven't got time to talk about all those, but let's just focus on that compassion that Jesus showed by listening. Notice Christ's response. The man said, if you're willing, and Jesus replied, I am willing. Now, if you want to improve your listening skills, then all of the books and the courses and the gurus say that you do what Jesus just did there. You make the effort to reflect back what you've heard, not to parrot, but to rephrase what you've heard and then speak it out so that the person can confirm or add to it and know that you are listening to them. The the bigger the, the leper said, if you are willing, and Jesus said, I am willing. So if we want to express the compassion of Christ to others, one way we can do it is to listen to others. Now we all think we're good listeners. 
most of us would rate ourselves above average, average when it comes to listening. Out of 10, inside, think about what you'd give yourself. 7 out of 10? 8 out of 10? I challenge you now to ask your spouse on the way home how they would rank you out of 10. Or maybe not. <laughs> but we all think we're good listeners, don't we? Now, some of the reasons why we aren't good listeners is, well, two things at least. One thing is we're not, often not engaged in the conversation with the person uh, and often we might be engaged with a screen. So it used to be the TV screen that if someone in the household was watching the rugby, you'd not get a decent word out of them, even in half time. But nowadays the screen's a lot smaller. How many of us have gone into a place where people are eating, whether it's McDonald's or a flash restaurant, and there's been two or three or people gathered around the table and at least one of them is looking at their phone while they're talking or being talking to? I won't ask for a show of hands who's guilty of that themselves because the preacher's hand would go up pretty quick. Can't imagine Jesus checking his Twitter feed though while he's talking to the leper. So one of the reasons why we're not good listeners is because we're pretty easily distracted, especially by screens. And the other reason is because we're too busy thinking of what to reply. We can listen a lot quicker than someone can speak. So we often get into the habit of listening for the first few words until we get a gist of the conversation and then thinking of our reply. Or we may be two or three replies ahead. Well, they're going to say this and I'll say, you know what I mean? Now, we all do that. We, it's just human nature. But good listeners do it a lot less. They know that that's what they're doing. They know, actually, I'm not really listening here. I'm too busy thinking about what I'm going to say. And they pull back. And so there's some really simple skills that we can do to be better, compassionate listeners. Put the screen away and listen. Don't think about what we're going to say while the person's still speaking. And just like Jesus, reflect back about what they're saying. Now, the power of listening um, and what a blessing it can be to others um, was made a lot clear to me when I was training for the ministry. I was placed as a mental health chaplain, a volunteer, in, in a, in a drop-in centre, mental health drop-in centre in Dunedin. It's called 420, just three or four doors from St Matt's, if you know that area of Dunedin. I'd been there a few weeks, finding my feet, when I was getting frustrated about not being more useful as the clients would come in to the drop-in centre. And I went to the, to the manager and just expressed that frustration. And I remember what she said. She said, do you know, Douglas, you may be the only sane person they speak to all week. Now, I told Judy that at night and she said something else <laughs> about that. Never mind. Still, the lights went on and it was true. Their problems were huge and I was never going to solve them, but I could listen. You know, those people were either just coming into or going out of an institution. They were living in really rough boarding houses and their neighbours were in the same condition that they were, or worse. Maintaining friendships and connection was a skill they just didn't have. So I realised I did have something to offer. I could sit down with a cup of tea or coffee and just listen and make no judgments and draw them out And you know, it made a difference, certainly made a difference in me, 
but I also saw it make a difference in those folk, those with the mental health conditions. Listening can be a very real expression of the compassion of Christ. And the power and the wonder of this story does not stop here with the leper and the healing because it points to the cross. Now, how does the story of the leper point to the cross? Jesus became unclean so that you and I could be made clean. If you understand that, you will understand what Christ did on the cross. That's all that was about. Christ became unclean so that you and I could be clean. Remember there was that leper begging at his feet and Jesus reached out and touched him. Let's imagine that he touched him on his shoulder. And straight away Jesus became unclean. And straight away that leper was healed. And that's what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. Before we met Jesus, we were unclean. We were excluded from the kingdom and we were banished from God's presence. But on the cross, Christ took on our uncleanness. On the cross, Christ was excluded from the kingdom so that we could be welcomed on. On the cross, Jesus was banished from God's presence so that we might find our place at our heavenly Father's feet. On the cross, Christ bled so that by his blood we could be washed clean. And so we come now to the communion table and we feel unworthy. (laughs) We feel that we have no right to eat or drink and we would be right to feel this way except that on the cross Christ became sin so that we may be made right with God. And this is why the feelings of unworthiness fall away when we come to the table because we do not focus on our unworthiness but we focus on Christ and the work of the cross and his glorious resurrection and all that it means to take the bread and the cup. And some of you may protest and say, if you only knew the shame that I carry, the stain." If you only knew the sins that I have done, then surely you would know that I am not welcome at the table. And Christ would say to you, I became unclean so that you can be made clean. Come now to my table. Come and know that you are loved, accepted, and forgiven. Take and eat. This is my body broken. Take and drink. This is my blood poured out. You are welcome at my table. Let's pray.